0: This is an episode that's supposed to bring up more questions than it does answers because it's sharing my truth, my journey, and I really want you to know that the fluffy side of success has has a tough underbelly. Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the Diversity to Advantage podcast. I am currently walking on a very sunny Saturday. Uh, not sure when I'm gonna publish this, but you'll, you'll remember the one the, the one and only very hot Saturday in recent weeks. Um, I want to just get real about what sustaining success looks like. Um, I often get comments from people like saying, "Oh, things look like they're going really good for you right now." looks like things are amazing. You're really sustaining success and all the rest of it. And of course, I graciously say, thank you so much. And yes, there are wonderful things going on. And I uh, practice absolute gratitude for the amazing uh, opportunities that I have in my life at the moment. But of course, what people don't see or fully get is that when other people are perhaps, um, you know, sunning themselves or Uh, doing those chill-out things, I'm probably at my laptop uh, creating content. Uh, I'm probably running training sessions. I'm probably, you know, doing lots of things. I'm very action-oriented, and even my recovery is action-based. I mean, the main thing I'm learning, and if if you've been watching recent podcasts, you'll you'll understand. My theme has changed a little bit to one of what is health and uh, what is holistic health and how do we actually sustain success? within our real lives, right? And I've talked about entrepreneurship, I've talked about loneliness, I've talked about driving forward despite the challenges, despite the pain, and continuously reframing challenges as opportunities, pain as growth. That thing I think I've I've gotten down pretty well, Pat, but that doesn't take away the fact that it is pain. It, you still feel the pain even though you reframe it. You still feel the loneliness even though you frame it as something that's going to allow you to progress and move forward in life. So last week, I did some training up in in Manchester for a a team of leaders. There was 25 of them. It was a full day, which is pretty long. Traveled up the night before, went to bed pretty late, stayed with some friends, got up pretty early, uh, and then pushed myself to, to do this training, and then got the train back to London. So you can imagine... At the end of the day, when I, because I choose to be on my feet the whole day and be fully alert and really try and engage and make the content as bespoke as possible, following the lead of the conversations that people that we're having. So as most trainers do, right, we want it to be, we want it to be special. We want people to really get something from it. Uh, and we work pretty hard to, to make that happen in some way excuse the sounds of traffic uh, I just I, I, I seem to get more content more true to me if I'm out walking or driving as my recent ones have been and so did this training which was amazing there people don't understand the internal dialogue when you run training uh, there's ones that you you do Constantly, and they're pretty perfect because you've done it so many times over and over again with similar content, even though you have room for creating something that's a bit bespoke. This one, I was, um, it was some of the activities were a little bit new because they wanted something a bit bespoke. There were parts of me that, because I'd been really rushed the last uh, days in the week, probably wasn't as perfect as it could have been. And so there were moments in the afternoon where my inner dialogue was going, All right, what do I do next? How do I? How do I make sure I close this appropriately? We've segued that way. How much time do I have for this? Like people don't understand the inner dialogue that goes on while you're running training. And so it was all fine and good, good feedback, good discussion. And I'm getting on the train home and I read my evaluation forms as I always do because I want to consistently learn from what people tell me. I want to have a growth mindset and not just ask them to do that for the sake of it or for the business, but really for for me to grow and, and get things right. And so, no word of a lie, as they say here, 98% of the evaluations were bloody fantastic. 98% of them were like, it was amazing, we were so inspired, we have some actions and things that we can do in order to take this forward, this is so exciting, I I learned about language, I learned about whatever. And there were only two that had constructive feedback. And, And basically my evaluation says, what went well, what did you like? And so there's an opportunity for them to say what went well and what could have been different or what would you have liked to see more of. And so um, two of them said great things in the what was good section. They said they echoed what the rest of them were saying. And two of them said, um, oh, this bit, this part of uh, of the session was a little bit heavy or I left the room because it was a little bit heavy and um, I think you spent too much time there or... Um, I wish that we'd done a little bit of a deeper activity on, on this section. And the reality was, I knew that they were right. I knew that that was true and that was well-founded. There was no part of the, the evaluation that was unfair. And it was personal. And they And they held their hands up to it. But of course, I go into thinking and questioning, oh, did I set up that bit of the exercise safely enough? Because that's my responsibility, right? And it was a bit about suicide and how to support people. So we've got to be careful and we've got to know that people in the room may be affected by the issues and give them a get out. And it's not so much what was said or what happened because it was well-founded and I will um, you know, adapt it into my training and think about it in some way. The thing was, I was tired, I had been pushing myself I had 8 million things on my mind that I wanted to do well. And when stretched that thin, it can be difficult to do anything well. You end up doing everything good, but not excellent. And I sort of felt that, and it tipped me over the edge a little bit through my tiredness. In any case, I went to uh, Hotel Chocolat. You guys know it. It's at every station. It's the most beautiful chocolate uh, probably anywhere. Uh, And I just thought, fuck this shit. I'm going to get some chocolate and and just, like, sugar myself down. I deserve it. And I did this whole dialogue about how I deserve to to kind of um, make myself feel even less well to add to the argument for why I'd done something wrong or I wasn't. I, I couldn't get this. The loneliness I felt, I felt I didn't have anyone to call in this moment to just be fully authentic and vulnerable with. So I ate shitloads of chocolate, and I mean shitloads. Um, and that's often my 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 spiral. I don't drink as you guys know. And so every once in a while I just go on in a sugar OD. And so I sugar OD'd. Um, and then I sat on the train back, long train ride back from Manchester, exhausted with, with sugar in my system and noise in my head. I think many of us entrepreneurs can relate to noise in our head. I mean, everyone can relate to noise, but I think that for, for, for us entrepreneurial types, I think the noise is louder. I think it's 10x because we are thinking about what we need to do with it. Uh, we have 18 lists going on in our head about what priorities are and what we need to remember and what we need to forget and all the rest of it. So I'm sat on this train and the voice is getting louder. So... It's just, it's just noise, it's loud. And then I'm surrounded by three people at a table seat. One guy's got his laptop out and is clacking away. Clack, 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 clack. Obviously hyper-focused on his work and on getting something out there. And he's beating down the keys and the, la- the, the noise is relentless. The woman next to me asks if she can use my, my phone plug. So there's this wire kind of going across the table to her. Um, and everyone's on their phone. Everyone's just looking at their phone. Everyone's looking at their phone. Nobody's looking at each other, and I just hear the noise of the train and the clicking and the clacking and everyone in this, like, hyper-intense action mode that has no connection and nobody really seeing each other. And I felt claustrophobic. I just couldn't wait to get off this train. My breathing was shallow, and I was... I mean, the, the thoughts were pretty dark. I definitely wanted to hurt the guy on the laptop. Um, which I didn't act on, which is the point, right? Thoughts are just thoughts. We have control over what we do with them. But it was a clue for me. So the clue was, shit, I'm more stressed than I thought I was because something like a train ride back at a table seat shouldn't be getting to me. And I was getting hard on myself and thinking, I should have my laptop out. There's so many things I should be doing. Why am I just sitting here? I tried to read a book. And then I was like, uh, I should obviously be doing more stuff. And they're working. I should be write, drafting my book and be doing less. And this is two hours that I could have used to its maximum potential. And I didn't fail, you know? Welcome to my brain. Welcome to my brain. And so then, because of this reaction, and I'm sure I ate more sugar on, on the way home. And then I um, uh, went to sleep early, but of course woke up feeling like shit. My head was hurting. Didn't feel great at all, which is often this, the cycle of things, right? Try not to get too animated when I walk by people, because <laughs> I look like I'm insane, but that's okay. All for the greater good, all for our learning and sharing. So because of this emotional, mental reaction, I thought the next day, felt a bit shit, started the day by drinking way too much coffee, and thought, um, let me work my way backwards here. So I thought, let me work my way backwards in order to figure out what this is about, because it's an irrational reaction to a tiny bit of feedback. I knew it wasn't just about that, because normally that doesn't phase me, and I, I, I learn and I grow. Um, it was just sort of a tipping point. Exhaustion, yes, because I've been pushing myself in lots of ways, and I'm still saying yes to too many things when I should be passing them on to other people. Um, and so I wanted to work out my lessons and where... That led me, and hopefully some of that might be useful for, for you guys because there's this nice little, you know, formula if you want to call it that, but a step by step approach of reflection. Because the re- the reality is, we're all going to fuck up, we're all going to go in spirals, and we're all going to do that coping mechanism thing, which is just escape, escape, escape. You know, this feels uncomfortable. Let me run. That's fine. It happens, and I could be compassionate about my uh, to myself later on about that, and when I was more in a calm, peaceful state, asked myself the question, what were the 10 steps before that led up to this kind of huge uh, emotional reaction? Bearing in mind, nobody could tell. Nobody could tell. I didn't lose it with anyone. I didn't yell. I didn't, I didn't like huff and puff. I didn't do anything. This is a very internal reaction. So I can feel all my body parts doing things that are stress-related. My brain is going 1,000 miles a minute. and. My reaction is I want to escape and I also want to hide. So I don't want to speak to anyone because I don't want them to see that messy part. I just want them to see the like, yeah, we did this great training and I did this Instagram post and it was all super cool and everyone got so much out of it and we're so inspiring and we're just winning, 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 winning all the time, right? That's what I um, obviously want you guys to think because uh, those things are true. This is the thing, we go into black and white, we think either that's true or... If the messy stuff is true, then somehow that takes away the value of the good stuff that's happened. But it doesn't have to work with it like that. Like, people who are emotionally intelligent are able to hold two things, more than two things, at once. Which means it can be excellent, amazing, and have impact, and be tricky, messy, exhausting, and trigger something in you. Like, all of those things can be true at once. One doesn't take away from the other. So it's a pretty powerful lesson, because the training was great, and people loved it, and I believe there was impact, and I'm, uh, you know confident enough to say that. And it could have been better, and it triggered an emotional reaction for me. So when I look back and uh, try and do the 10 steps before, a couple things of note happened. What was actually frustrating in the dip was that for those three days, I'd been waking up at 6 a.m, I'd been meditating, I'd been doing a bit of a yoga thing. I'd been journaling and doing the who-do-I-want-to-be stuff. I had a pretty perfect morning routine for about three, four days. And so part of that added to my um, my crash because I was like, the fuck, I've been doing all this stuff for three, four days, and, and, and I'm still just acting like a fucking idiot and spiraling and escaping and all the rest of it. What the fuck is the point? I'm never going to be able to consistently do those things all the time. So I attacked my efforts um, to be... To do the morning routine stuff and what everyone sort of suggests that we do in order to look after ourselves another thing i noticed when i did debrief the two days later with a really close friend of mine um and i kept using the word perfect kept and i'm not even a perfectionist you guys know that um and i kept saying um ah oh, so i was doing the perfect morning routine and the training just wasn't perfect and i just didn't do that section perfectly and I didn't sleep perfectly. And she, she was just like, she's so cool. Um, she just went, well, uh, I feel like you, you've used the word perfect like eight times. Like, what's, what does perfection mean to you? Like, what are you trying to get at? And I was using it. And if I logically think about it, I'm like, nah, perfection is not what I'm striving for. It's never what I'm striving for. In fact, it would hold me back if that's what I was looking for. But somewhere deep, deep down... This word keeps cropping up, and so I am ob- obviously am putting some pressure on myself to, to have some kind of perfection going on um, and to, yeah, do the morning routine perfectly. I'm like, I read all the books. People with good morning routines are more productive, less stressed, follow their intuition and are more, fo- more focused, but it kind of adds to the amount of noise that is out there. Like Everyone's got the perfect formula for how you wake up. Everyone's got the perfect formula for how you do entrepreneurship and how you look after yourself. And it actually can add to the noise because we're doing, yes, there's some science-backed stuff, and, and I'm totally for all of that. And we're, we're, we're doing things like we think we should be doing it. It's another type of should. How do we do well-being effectively based on what other people are telling us to do? And yes, we can learn from other people, but unless we cultivate the silence, right? Unless we cultivate the ability to sit with ourselves and listen to our intuition and what we know to be true and what our vibration and energy and all of that is telling us, we need to be doing for us to look after us personally rather than anyone else. Unless we're able to do that, we simply won't... We're simply chasing another should, right? And so I noticed my my pressure for perfection and for doing everything even though I also know that I'm kind of in this middle ground, this next level where I'm learning to let go, hand things over to to my amazing facilitators, my virtual assistant, my tech support, learning to hand things over and pace myself. Um, The other thing that happened, people, the other thing that people happened, let's get real. The day, the day, the day that I went to Manchester, so the day before the training, I had a a Reiki shamanic healing session booked. Now, I have explored some shamanism with a close friend of mine, and I've certainly been reading more about quantum physics and energy and all the rest of it. I've never done Reiki. Um, I've done, as you know, some uh, sound therapy, gong baths, and the vibration thing just really has a profound effect on me. I seem to be quite um, sensitive energetically to these things. So I booked a Reiki session secretly because I thought, I don't want my mom to know. Uh, She might think I'm going back to my uh, hippie roots and we can't have that because it's too sort of clouded with cult stuff, right? So I went to this amazing sage of a woman who has so much experience, has written an outstanding book. I will will have to interview her at some point to just uh, share share the love and the wisdom because she's amazing. So I went with an open mind. I had no set intention. I I just wanted to see what what she noticed and, you know, uh, I wanted to experiment with it as I am in general when it comes to this health stuff at the moment. And she, first of all, she swore about five times, so that was beautiful. (laughs) I'm like, yes, she is the right one. I have found my uh, spirit spirit animal, right? Uh, My spirit sage or something. And she talked about the charlatans in the Reiki world and um, the, the process that she takes and how certain things work better for some people than other people, how it can be very effective for trauma when it's stored in your body. She'd read some of the books that I know about, and she'd also done some psychotherapy training, so she was able to translate into my language in a beautiful way. And even if she hadn't done all of those things, I would have still sort of laid on that table with an open mind and and seen uh, what sort of came from it because it's all opportunities for learning, even if it isn't perfect. Um, So I lay on this table and she starts at my feet and puts um, just her beautiful touch, her hand, onto my feet. I'm closing my eyes, I'm relaxed. She then moves to my head. She holds my left and the right side of my, my brain so she's actually physical contact. Sometimes it's not physical contact. And she does this like, she asked you to put your attention on the left side of your brain and then your attention on the right side of your brain and see what you notice. Uh, I just felt silly, but I said it felt like the left side of my brain was much heavier. Uh, she echoed that that's how, what, what, what it felt like as well. And she then put her hands not onto, but over my throat. So that, that the chakra, that region. And I had a very intense emotional reaction to uh, her, her hand but my throat. And I've had this before in different ways. So a feeling that I don't want any kind of physical contact around my throat. I don't want um, any kind of energy near my throat it makes me feel very uncomfortable. And so, bearing in mind my eyes are closed, right? And so my eyes are closed, but I can feel her energy above uh, above my throat. And it feels really ominous. It feels really dark and intense. And I start shaking and crying. Like I just have this massive physical and emotional reaction to the point where she's like, whoa, fuck, let me not. My hands there is not useful. And she puts her hands on my shoulder, which made me feel very uh, safe. She sort of supports my breathing and I'm able to 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 travel through that. I mentioned that one because we didn't end up spending the time working there because it was obviously a bigger issue than than one sort of scanning session. But it said something to me. So I was left with this like, I know raised the way I was and people being punished in front of me and injustices happening left, right and center, that my coping mechanism as a child was to just um, shut up, be quiet, say nothing, play small, right? And I don't see myself like that anymore. And um, I certainly had to play a different version of that in my marriage, I would say, where I shut up and played small in order for the relationship and our parenting to be okay and to thrive. But but I was thinking, the last two years, I've, I've been divorced. I've been exploring my voice. I've been putting out more content. I've, I feel authentic. I feel like I'm, I'm speaking my truth. And it feels like there's so much more. There's so much more richness and energy if I can get over the, the block of not having a voice. There's something really deep. A dark and sort of a survival method that is there in order to, that was there in order to keep me safe. And so she did this beautiful like messaging from the left brain and the right brain to my heart in order to acknowledge the necessity of having those things in place in order to uh, remain safe as a child, sort of being compassionate about that and wondering what we could release. But it made me think. Actually, I might think I'm being authentic because there's little bits of discomfort, or I'm pushing myself out there in some way. But actually, this block over my throat is kind of saying to me that there's there's stuff that I'm still I'm still playing by other people's rules, and I'm still playing small, and I'm still not having my voice fully heard out of fear, or thinking that if somebody heard. Uh, Rage if someone heard anger if somebody heard me not be emotionally intelligent if somebody not heard me not being controlled and Having the perfect thing to say all the time If I wasn't those things like fuck like what could actually come out, right? And she she actually used the word later on this 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 Reiki shaman uh, Master that she felt because the energy was so ominous She felt like there was rage and anger and things that were bottled up there that just couldn't be communicated And I realized that there's something in the way that I date and the way that I interact with people and the closeness that I have with people that feels close, but but I still feel lonely and I still feel disconnected. And I've told myself this story that it's lonely at the top. How many belief systems do we have around loneliness or about what success looks like? So mine is, it's lonely at the top. This is the price you pay for greatness. Those are probably the two that... um, repeat and are reinforced by other people and affect, I think, really subtly, who I am in relationship with people because I'm still presenting this side of myself that is, you know, achieving, winning, constant growth, constantly moving forward, and is really uncomfortable with my own current messy middle of noise in my head, of falling apart, Of feeling like I've got to push myself and that I'm alone in that process. So, the idea is that it's lonely. So, my belief systems are that it's lonely at the top and this is the price we pay, or even that uh, guys are intimidated by ambition and success and being driven. And so, that's going to cause a disconnect between intimacy. or really having people alongside me on this journey who, who sort of get it and allow me to feel um, fully connected. The thing is, some of those things are partly true, but the problem is that when we get into a fixed mindset about that being the reason for things, it sort of subtly prevents us from doing the things that we could do to drop down the walls, to stay more connected, to truly connect with ourselves, uh, our intuition, as well as other people. So check the belief systems that you have about success, about money, about intimacy, about connection, anything that you feel lack of, like something that's lacking or missing in your life, check your belief systems around that, because that might be holding you back in some way from moving yourself forward. And so I realized that this thing around the throat and the heart and the messaging that we did as far as energy, first of all, it was deeply healing. I mean, I was, she, she barely said anything throughout the process until the end. And I'm like, particular points in my body are just chilled, I'm just relaxed. And then other points, I'm just like weeping and shaking and um, it, like all this stuff's coming out. So there's something, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it was a profound, deep experience very profound and deep. Which leads me, again, to this belief system around loneliness and disconnection. And is it, like, why are we afraid of being alone? I'm sort of segueing. So I've been talking about entrepreneurship, business, holistic health, and learning from the, the spiral points, right? The, the things where we judge ourselves, we, we don't think we do well, and being able to look back on the steps that have gotten to us to a place of uh, sort of going back into that uh, spiral of doom, as I refer to it. Ones that I pick up from a hell of a lot quicker than I used to, might just be a 24 hour period, maybe 48 at a stretch, uh, and then I'm back on it. I might be doing content to just like release, uh, and I get back on my routine. So there's nothing wrong with like the reality, which is, yes, we can be winning and be successful, and, we have these dips, which actually lead to sharing on a bigger level, connecting on a bigger level, and hopefully giving people some some pointers and ideas from from the real way that things are, rather than just the glossy, follow my six-step formula and make a million dollars or whatever people are doing these days. I find the self-development industry is quite formulaic at the moment. It's quite like, follow this three-step plan and change your life. I'm like, nah, it's just a lot messier than that. And my three-step plan is going to be different from yours. And there's never just three steps. And really, we just need to be talking authentically about what that process is like and celebrating when we bounce back up. That's what I want. I want us to celebrate the wins and when we bounce back up and not judge ourselves so harshly for for the dips or the questioning and know that those are the leveling up moments. Those are the times when... uh, we're we're learning the things that we need to learn to give us the tools for actually sustaining success at the next level. And you know how they say you become the five people you spend the most time with, or you know that sort of thing, and auditing you know the, the people that you're with in order to um, you should be the smartest person in the room, all that sort of thing. But um, let's just say I've had a, what I refer to as a situation ship. So not quite a relationship, but a um, uh, friend, friend with benefits, but, but more than that. Because we, we connect on a deeper level, but for, for life circumstances, our big life sort of goals don't, don't align. So we So it's not a relationship. We're essentially single. But my question to you is, and this is me working out the answer, is it sometimes better to be with a person who offers us things like comfort, solace, support, but you know isn't the person that might help you uh, uh, grow or isn't maybe, the, the nah, I fucking hesitate to say the right person because I don't really buy that. I think different people are in our lives at different times to, to support something, but when do we know that that relationship has expired? Uh, John Kim talks a lot about uh, an expired relationship rather than this sort of fatalistic right-wrong, uh, the one, or, or the, uh, even breakups, because that kind of puts a sort of negative spin on it when actually my time with that person has expired and I can have gratitude and look at it as a beautiful thing for what it was and when it was but actually when do we know that the usefulness of that relationship or connection has expired and that now we're just holding on to it out of fear of being alone now we're just holding on to it because if we let go we are afraid that we'll fall into an abyss and have no one and this real i mean it's a primal fear it's a pri- this being alone thing is a primal fear people are afraid to talk about it uh yes we like a good empowered narrative about being alone uh as you know choosing to be single but deep, deep 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 down we're 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 made for connection and that doesn't mean it has to be traditional relationship but we are made for connection we it's a primal instinct to be in tribes and that allows us to to feel safe so there's something terrifying, not only of the letting go without knowing what's sort of going to come up next, but just the, the idea that you, you might have nights and evenings where you just need to sit with yourself with no distraction, you know, or I'm always afraid that I'm just going to tip into workaholism because I don't have a reason, an individual sort of giving me, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but purpose in, in downtime because if i'm with somebody else then i can feel purposeful in just listening to music and having sex and chilling out and and that's like oh i feel refreshed and i've i've kind of rejuvenated but if i'm just by myself i kind of go mmm netflix mmm but yoga mmm yeah i'm done with this let me just get my laptop out and do some work right and so it kind of robs me because i'm not very good at the the alone time downtime um, I like the, maybe because I'm an extrovert, I like the people downtime. So even not in a relationship setting, but the um, meeting up with a good friend uh, for, for a coffee and a chat and a debate and an authentic connection. Like, I like people downtime rather than alone downtime. And I'm not making either one right or wrong. I know that there's a stretch zone for me in learning to sit with myself. And I'm an extrovert and I like people and there's nothing wrong with that. And for the introverts out there, the flip side might be true. Their stretch zone is to connect and push themselves to be with people. And their comfort zone is to rejuvenate and refresh on their own. It's not good or bad. It's a self-awareness piece. However, when do we know, when do you know, when the relationship that was serving you, because it was useful and because you needed that lesson, that comfort, that downtime, that sexual connection, that energetic connection, whatever it was, how do we know when it's expired. Now, this is not where I give you the three-step plan for knowing when it's expired. This is me provoking some questions and questions that are live within myself. Because deep down, I feel like my uh, situation has reached its expiry point, and I recognize the fear in me in letting go of it because it does have some good points, because that means I'll have to sit with myself and be alone and be open to the possibility Of just being single for a while. I've also, uh, if you've listened to recent content, I've deleted my dating apps. And again, that's not right or wrong. It's just noting uh, my addictive patterns in um, looking for something to fill the void rather than energetically matching with something. And so it felt like I have to pull back and that my challenge for myself is being able to sit with myself, is being able to explore holistic health, is being able to Create space and time to write the book that I want to write and to put out the online programs that I want to put out. And that's okay. Sometimes you've got to buckle down and put the work in in order to get to the next level. It shouldn't define us, Um, it shouldn't be habit. But I remember when I did uh, my master's degree, uh, I had two young kids. I was working full time far away, like an hour and a half drive away from, from my house. And I was doing a master's degree at night at Birkbeck uh, and I was studying and there were days, especially in the last six months, that I was waking up at 3 a.m. in order to put the work in before my kids got up because it was the only way to do it. And yes, you could judge that and be like, oh, just chill. Sometimes you got to be and you're being a workaholic and you're driving too hard and your health's going to suffer. All of those things were true. I wasn't the best person to live with at the time. And... There was a deadline and I could visualize the end result and I knew where I wanted to get to and I knew that in order to get to that point, it wasn't going to be forever, but in order to get to that point, to be the first person in my immediate fa- family to get a degree, to challenge the, um, the, the past that I had that was dictating who I was going to become, to, to give my, my kids hope of disrupting the patterns in our past and to give them hope for a different future, I had to finish. I had to finish, I couldn't run away anymore. And a lot of my uh, pattern when when traveling so much and saying goodbye to people and places and things was that my neural pathways in my brain were were just set at when things get hard, leave. When things get hard, run away. When things get hard, leave the country, Um, move on. And so I had to, at that stage of my life, reinforce the message that I needed to be with myself and I needed to stay with finishing that goal no matter how fucking hard it was i needed to sit with myself do the hard work yes not get enough sleep not be in the perfect mood all the time but finish and so there's seasons right and this is where self-awareness comes in because no we we shouldn't be driving hard all the time and yes we should be having balance and looking after ourselves and sometimes there's a season where we just need to drive hard say no to people um Say, I mean, I certainly didn't have a social life during that time. There, there, was, no, there, were no, there was no time for connections and just chilling out. I, if I wasn't studying, I was parenting uh, and, and running the house, and then I was reading, and then I was studying and writing and all the rest of it. And I'm grateful that I buckled down and I finished. And you ask yourself the question, what season are you in now? Is it a time to buckle down and finish and say no to the frivolous escapist stuff? Or is it time to kind of breathe and let go and enjoy the journey and your successes and allow you to just have a bit of fun with it. I'm sure there's a middle ground, people. I'm sure p- some people have cracked the idea of, like, work hard and um, be enjoying the journey and all of that as well. And, and to be honest, that's the quest I'm on. I'm looking for that kind of balance. And I know that the ship I've been in has probably reached its expiry date. I'm challenging my own fear of letting go first before knowing if I'll ever be with anyone that, you know, is on the similar wavelength as me uh, and wants to uh, sort of push themselves and grow in a relationship rather than just kind of use it as an escape mechanism. That might never happen for me, and that's not a defeatist attitude. It's me going, what's the worst that could happen? And being okay with that in order to be able to let go and be open to surprises that do inevitably come our way surprises always come our way and I love those but it doesn't feel like it when you're in the letting go phase it doesn't feel like it at all it feels like you just have to let go and have all your catastrophic thinking come up about what's not going to happen but know that those are just thoughts they're just thoughts they're just thoughts and you can think anything just like I wanted to be quite violent to the guy across from me on the train it's just a thought and my thought can be I'm going to be alone forever and I can know that I need to let go with gratitude, integrity, and kindness uh, because I've appreciated every aspect of the human that's been in my life. And I deserve someone who wants to fully be present, and I deserve someone who wants um, to show up in the same way that I do at life, living life to the, to the full, you know? So, so who knows? People, this is an episode that's supposed to bring up more questions than it does answers because it's sharing my truth my journey, and I really want you to know that the fluffy side of success has, the t- has a tough underbelly. It has a tough underbelly. It has relentless questioning. It has relentless growth. It has um, vulnerability and authenticity. When I shared with my friend about the train journey, and she was just uh, beautiful and asked the questions such as, what do you need right now? And she noticed the word perfection uh, coming up over and over. And it allowed me to just gain that next perspective of going, yeah, perfection has never been my driver. Like, why is that coming up? Why am I judging myself in this way? And then give yourself a little little space. If you're exploring things like shamanism, Reiki, spiritual journeys, uh, any kind of uh, yogic path or or anything like that, even psychotherapy, counseling, coaching, know that your energy stuff might shift and it might bring you up to um, new places of thinking Uh, emotional disruption, you know, because you've asked for change. You've asked for change. By showing up at any of those things, you've asked for change. And when change happens, then we're surprised and we're like, oh my God, something's wrong. Put it away. Shut Pandora's box. (sighs) So, people, I can recognize that I have asked for change. I have asked for change by showing up to these different holistic health healing pathways, uh, by asking questions about the situationship I'm in, by asking questions of of my emotional reaction to the training feedback. Um, All of this is information. It's small puzzle pieces that get us going onto the next right thing. Oprah Winfrey says, you don't need to know the whole path. I'm I'm just uh, quoting her. I saw her watch something on YouTube from her last night. She said, all you need to do in the way she lived her life was know the next right thing, following your intuition around the next right thing you don't need to have the whole nine yards or the whole picture figured out in order to do the next right thing. And people stop because they don't have the next 10 steps planned or outlined. They, they, they stop fully and they stay safe and they stay, stay scared and they stay in the relationship and they keep watching the fucking Netflix and doing anything they can, drinking, whatever, to avoid the bravery, courageous step that it takes to simply do the next right thing. And so, uh, what's the next right thing for me, you ask? I think i got to cut ties with uh, my situationship, uh, as I said, with integrity and kindness. I need to feel, I need to be okay with the season of buckling down again, because that is what I want. I want to buckle down and get some amazing things out there, and I think I might be afraid of some of that. I might be afraid that if, you know, that voice energy thing, that if I put myself out there, in a bigger way and say how I really feel. Some of you aren't going to like me. Some of you aren't going to like it. Uh, is it going to tie in with my corporate persona that does corporate training? But but I met the hope, uh, global head of diversity and inclusion for a law firm. Hilarious. Uh, and she said, ah, oh, me, me and my husband were listening to your podcast about personal responsibility and we were uh, fascinated. And So And I was like, oh, shit, I never really thought, I never thought ahead because I only do the next right thing, right? I never really thought that my podcast, which is just my passion project and um, my voice and getting other people's voices out there and talking about the messy middle and all of that, that the people that are hiring me corporately would use that as a way of checking me out or as some kind of reference point. Obviously, it's true because you just put your your voice out there and, and people see your content, right? But, uh, but I think if I'd had that in my mind, in the back of my mind that when I do these rants and, t- you know, bear my soul and all the rest of it, that the the, the corporate people that hire me are going to use that as some kind of uh, resume, uh, I might not be as, as straightforward. So it's good to do just the next right thing and not think about that because it, inadvertently people are being drawn to the authenticity in hiring me anyway. So be you, ask yourself the tough questions. Figure out when relationships are meant to expire. Expire them with kindness and authenticity, integrity. And ask yourself whether it's a time to buckle down and do the work or whether it's time to chill and open up. And if you found the magic formula for for doing both at once, please let me know. Let's talk. Thanks so much for listening.